0: Welcome into the Cubs Weekly Podcast presented by Wintrust, proud legacy partner of the Chicago Cubs, an exclusive home of Cubs checking. Open online today at Wintrust.com slash Cubs Weekly. And as a reminder, we're available on all podcast platforms, so be sure to rate and subscribe. Tony and Draghi here joined by Andy Martinez and MLB.com's own Tim Stebbins. He's also a marquee Sports Network contributor. We, uh, we rehearsed that title a little bit right before we came on. But Tim obviously contributes from MLB, MLB.com and with us. You've seen him here on the pod or heard him here on the pod before. So, guys, we're going to go right into our triple play segment. Uh, that's If you're new to this, it's just three things from around baseball that are kind of bouncing around our head. First up, smoky conditions at Wrigley Field. We saw this in New York. We saw it in Philadelphia earlier this season. The Yankees and Phillies games were both canceled at their respective ballparks. Andy, I'll start with you. What did you make of the conditions at Wrigley uh, Tuesday night? We're recording this Wednesday, but Tuesday night's game.
1: Yeah, it was definitely unique. I don't think I've ever seen Wrigley in that situation, right, where you can't see a whole lot, like, past outside the stadium, right? It that, that was just so hazy. It was so, so dusty. Like, I don't know what the right word to use outside of hazy. Yeah. It, it was just a very unique experience of Wrigley Field that I'd never seen or, or experienced in my life before. Tim, what would you make of it?
2: Yeah, I remember – writing a story in 2021 just about like a, a summer day at Wrigley day game hot and hazy that was kind of the conditions but that was more just you know like a summer muggy day outside right, right? yeah um it kind of reminded me of that I guess when I got to Wrigley in the afternoon but as you got into the nighttime like you know it was obviously a different perspective on it and then I remember Ian Happ speaking after the game he was talking about how playing when when the ball's in the air at nighttime it's probably different when it's that kind of haziness versus a day game and he talked a little bit about ball goes in the air and kind of tough to see, right? So the only one comp I have is that, but that was a whole different time of day. And I think that's kind of the discrepancy there.
0: Yeah. I mean, to me, I just, you know, from being outside all day and covering, and they did have the press box windows closed, but obviously there's still a lot of open airflow, like right next to us, the, you know, the windows are open for the radio and TV booths and stuff. And I I just felt like I was kind of sitting around a campfire for a few hours and it wasn't I, I didn't smell the smoke like on my clothes like I normally would from being around a campfire, but I felt a little bit in my throat and my eyes were a bit dry. That was it. Like that, I just felt a little drier than normal. Right. And from talking to like Cody Bellinger, talk Tim, you mentioned Ian Happ. That's kind of essentially what it sounded like. That it wasn't a big deal when they were out there. Just in terms of they they understood they had to go play. It's it's unprecedented waters for all of these people nobody knows what the the uh visibility index or whatever smoke index means like the air quality what I I didn't know any of that stuff and like learning a little bit about it so yeah definitely a weird situation for sure um and also totally understandable that like some fans were in a position where they didn't want to go out and expose themselves to it um but yeah it was definitely a weird situation at wrigley hopefully as this week continues to go on uh that's the last of it and i think hat put it right that uh how often our canadian wildfires going to impact baseball games like we don't know and hopefully we don't see it again so hopefully it's not something that we learn a lot about the the smoke index or whatever it is um going on to our second topic here though on a completely different note shohei otani was all kinds of awesome last night tuesday night struck out 10 pitching hit two homers hitting I'm a little perturbed by that stat line because I have him in my ESPN Fantasy Baseball League and his you don't get his offensive stats if you have him as a pitcher.
1: Yeah, you only have so, one or the other.
0: Yeah, so I'm not very happy about that. <laughs> yeah. uh, I would have liked both, but either way, I mean, he's awesome on both sides of the ball. So, Tim, I'll start with you. What would the equivalent in other sports be of Shohei hitting, striking out 10, you know, having a quality start on the mound, and hitting two homers? Would it be like... Patrick Mahomes throwing four touchdown passes and intercepting a ball, too? Like, I don't know what that comparison would even be. Well, when I thought about this question, I more thought of, I tried to find a comparison, and
2: I don't think there is a comparison that we have seen. So, like, I think that's where I stand on it. I think, like, if you're saying, like, hypothetically, what would this look like? Like, yeah, it's pretty good. Patrick Mahomes is really good. And if they ever decide, hey, let's put you at cornerback and see if you can get a uh, interception for <laughs> yeah. a touchdown, yeah, that'd be a good one. Um, I guess in football, we've seen... Like Devin Hester in the Bears was drafted as a defensive back and he was kick returner, punt returner, played some receiver, but I don't think he ever played defensive back for the Bears. If that was the case, if there's ever a player that can kind of do both, maybe. But I don't think a a football player playing receiver and cornerback compares to someone throwing 100 miles an hour and hitting absolute moonshots into the the, the deepest part of the ballpark, right?
1: And and I'll say to that, like, yes, Devin Hester might have played some defensive back and some wide receiver, But he wasn't the very best in both positions like Shohei Otani is. And I think that's like the number one difference, right? Like if you do a comp like in this hypothetical fantasy world, and like let's be honest, Shohei Otani seven, eight years ago was a hypothetical fantasy world that there would be a guy that could do this. But uh, in this hypothetical fantasy world where Patrick Mahomes has a game where he has throws for four touchdowns and intercepts two balls, like it's – it still doesn't necessarily mean he's the best in both situations. And that's, I think, what we're looking at at Shohei Otani that really makes him such a unique and and awesome unicorn that that I I don't think there's a comp. I guess Michael Phelps, right? Like, like if he was winning gold medals swimming and then was beating Usain Bolt on the uh, (laughs) uh, uh, the 100 meters, like, that would be, I guess, the next closest comp, in my opinion.
0: Yeah, there's uh, Wayne Randazzo had this amazing tweet yesterday that I feel like encapsulates what Shohei Otani has been accomplishing. So, uh, since... The start of last season, so the 2022 season, Shohei leads the majors in 10 strikeout games. He leads the majors in homers this year, and just over the last like three weeks, he's lapping the field. He has, I think, like nine homers more than anybody else, maybe 10. Uh, but he's he's way over everybody else, just on both sides of the ball. It's it's absolutely incredible. And yeah, I don't think there is a competent. It'd be like maybe a hockey or soccer goalie. Pitching a shutout essentially in, yeah. in goal, and then scoring multiple goals themselves—that would be the only equivalent that I and can. And doing think it of. like every night. Right, and doing that, yes, or at least like once every a game. week yeah, throughout. Yeah. I, I can't, I can't, I can't wrap my head around a lot of what Shohei has done, and I can't wrap my head around what kind of contract he's going to get this <laughs> off season. I mean, he's going to get five hundred million for sure, $600, six hundred seven. Like some team out there may end up paying him an astronomical fee like he may be making 70 million dollars a
1: year for all we know right and i think that could be the argument that it would be an underpay and he might still be underrated and it's just that's just how unique and how amazing he is really in the grand scheme of things
0: his war pitching and i wish i had those exact numbers in front of me but i just saw it earlier today his war pitching right now would be the equivalent of what Max Scherzer's WAR was last year, or close to it. And then ma- offensively, he is what Manny Machado was last year. So that's you're kind of combining Max Scherzer and Manny Machado into one player, one roster spot, one salary. It's going to be, it's going to be an insane winter. Yeah. So that's going to be like the, the number one, two, three, t- you know, top ten storylines to watch this winter is where Shohei goes and how it impacts the rest of the market. Uh, moving on to the Cubs, though, here a bit. Obviously, Shohei will be in the All-Star Game, assuming he's healthy. I don't know if he'll be in the home run derby yet. How many Cubs will be in the All-Star Game? I think they have four to five viable candidates. But, Tim, we'll start with you. How many guys on this roster do you think will go to Seattle from the Cubs?
2: Yeah, I'm with you where there's probably a handful that there's a case for. Um, I think it's more likely three. We know Marcus Stroman could, you know, I guess it depends on his – when his turn in the rotation would be assuming with the blister uh he comes back before the break obviously which it sounds like there's a good chance he will um but Strowman, i think is going to be in on the roster justin Steele, i think as well even with that you know brief time he was on the injured list i think he's got good numbers and uh qualifying numbers and then dansby swanson like dansby swanson isn't gonna be voted as a starter we know like he didn't make it to the phase two of voting but i mean look at his numbers like he's leads the national league in war on Fangraphs among shortstop uh among all players he's tied for the lead in mlb and outs above average so the numbers at the plate are, are good defensively he's probably one of the top handful of players if not top number one mm-hmm. defensively this year so i think he'll be as a reserve i i, I don't question that at all i wonder if like chris morrell i don't i don't know how that would play out with the month that he wasn't in the big leagues but the numbers are ridiculous. He's played thirty seven games at this point. I, I'm not an expert on what threshold is needed of stats and playing time to be selected as a reserve, but my gosh, like I think he's someone that is
0: very exciting and maybe he's someone who could get in as a,
2: a re- injury replacement. I don't
0: know, but I think my answer to that is I don't think Morrell has the track record to make it to the All-Star game. But I would not be surprised if he's in the home run derby. I think his power the fact that, like you said, Tim, he's an exciting young player, obviously big market in Chicago. He's done this for a couple of years now. I would not be surprised if he is in the home run derby. And we've seen that before, right? Most home run derby candidates are on the all-star rosters, but not all in the past. Yeah. So I that could happen. I could see that happening.
1: That's was going to be my ca- caveat. Like I think um, Danzy Swanson has definitely a chance, and then Steele and, and Stroman, to your point, are, are very much in line to, to be in, in the all-star game. But Christopher Morrell, I think, is definitely a realistic option in the home run derby. And I, 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 there's no way to quantify this or to measure this, but I, I wish that uh, whoever decides who's in the uh, home run derby could, dis- could just watch him take BPA because mm. there's not a better person on this Cubs roster. And, and I would venture to guess in Major League Baseball it takes better batting practice <laughs> than, than Christopher Morrell. I mean, everything is just a complete moonshot to, to, to the outfield. I remember in Houston, I mean, he was hitting them off the Crawford boxes. He was hitting them off the advertising signs, uh, off the trains. Like, it was awesome to see. And I would just love to see the the rest of the baseball world see Christopher Merrill take BP. Because, I mean, if he's in there taking BP before a game, like, it's almost must-watch TV just to see how far and where he can hit the, the baseball.
0: Yeah, I mean, I don't think a Cub has been in the home run derby since Schwarber did it a few years ago, right? A copy that year too, right? Both of them were in it? Was it? Okay, I can't remember specifically. But yeah, like, and Schwarber ended up going up against Harper in, in the finals and, like, that was pretty close there. But either way, like Morrell, I, I could see a legit chance of him winning it, too, yeah. like you said, for BP and just the raw power he has. That would be really cool. I remember around this time last year there was talk of Patrick Wisdom maybe being in the home run derby uh, and not necessarily making the all-star roster. So, yeah, I think those are all good candidates. And I also wouldn't be surprised if Nico Horner ends up on on the second base, you know, there for second base as a reserve, maybe even an injury replacement. Luis Arise and Tyro Estrada, uh, you know, of the Marlins, obviously, Luis Arise is approaching 400. Like, he's going to be there for sure. And then Estrada's having a great year with the Giants too. So, like, I expect those two guys definitely to be on on the roster in some capacity. But I think Nico's right up there. I mean, he's definitely a top-five second baseman in the National League, and he might even be top three. And when you count defensive stats and just how he is with the glove, I think he's – I mean, he's an all-star to me. His offensive numbers have – taken a bit of a dive here uh, just over the last month or so. But if he gets those back up, if he has a bit of a hot stretch, I think he can be on the all-star roster. And at some point, maybe the Cubs have have an all-star middle infield. That'd be pretty cool. So, um, yeah, definitely worth watching. But I think Strowman and Steele, absolutely. And I think Strowman can still in line. If you you map it out right now, the way the Cubs have him starting games after London, he has two starts, and then he would be on exact – five-day rest for the all-star game right. if that kept it up if he comes back from the blister so he's potentially there as a starting option we'll see how it plays out though um really right now from the cubs perspective we talked about london they're com- they've come back from it we were just chatting before this pod the three of us about the cubs have 24 off days this season they play 162 games in 184 days right or 186, 186. days sorry and uh So they have to figure that all out. But three of those 24 off days came around London. Four come in the All-Star break. So over a couple weeks span here, the Cubs are getting a lot of rest. Meanwhile, in between, they're playing 13 straight games. After London going into the All-Star break, against the Phillies, Guardians, Brewers, Yankees, there's not really much of a letdown in there in terms of opponents. How important, Andy? We'll start with you. How important is this 13-game stretch for the Cubs going into the break?
1: It's a question I asked David Ross, and before I could finish my question, he says it's very important, yeah. right? And, and and I don't think that's let's just end understand the segment there, yeah. right? Yeah, I mean it's David it's Ross, it's, yeah. it's, yeah. Yeah, it's yeah. very important, right? Like they, they know that if they want to be uh, buying at the deadline, if they if they want to be in in the division race, like that stretch where they went 10 and two and and, and they looked good against the Giants and the Pirates who were in first place, that stretch where they looked good. Uh, it doesn't mean anything if you can't follow it up with a good stretch here, and I'm not saying they have to go ten and two, or I guess it would be ten and three in those thirteen games to 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 keep up. But you have to have a good record, right? Like you have to have a good performance in those thirteen games if you want to if you want to be in the playoff conversation, if you want to be talking about being buyers at the deadline. That's just the, the 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 reality of the situation, and David Ross and the team know that that they they have to perform well against these teams. And and frankly, I mean that's that's a good barometer to do it against, right? Like to to be able to say. Phillies who were in the World Series last year like if you could have a if you could come back and 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 have a good series against them that that says a lot the Guardians who were playoff team last year that says a lot the Brewers who are on first place if you have a good series against them that means a heck of a lot and then the Yankees who we know what they are and if you can go to their house and, and compete well against them I and mean, then you go into the all-star break with with good momentum and, and come out of it with a schedule that maybe lightens up just a little bit that that could be huge going into the second half and into the trade deadline and everything else
2: I mean, look, there's a real opportunity here for them. Let's be honest. Like, after the Angels sweep, things were... I wrote about this for MLB.com on Tuesday night. Like, they were 26-36 and after getting swept in Anaheim, and it looked pretty perilous, and the the discourse was starting to shift to the trade deadline, as kind of was the case, you know, in 2021, it was that losing streak dipped into the start of July. But last year, we know they had, I believe, a 10-game losing streak in June. Yeah. Um, They're 10 under, and then they go off and... 11 and 4 since, right? And you're two games back of the lost column, f- of the first place in the lost column in your division. Um, we talk about the schedule, like Milwaukee for four games. I mean, that's huge. Like, huge. You, if you win that series, and assuming, like, that's, you know, you have a good stretch here and that's four games as part of it, I mean, I think by the end of it at the break, you are sitting right at the top of the division at that point. And they were pretty much on the doorstep there. They were a game away from 500 in the London series before Sunday's game. And um you have you have this chance here to do something in like Cleveland Philly like we're talking about these are all playoff teams the Yankees I mean Aaron Judge is out like the Phillies kind of been inconsistent this year they're above 500 now Cleveland's under 500 like you've played well you have put yourself in a position to to make a run here like Jameson Tyone talked about it last night like he said every game's important but in July there's always the deadline and it's a good time in the middle of the summer to get hot and make a run and that's what opportunity is in front of them now and I think if This stretch is, you know, there's going to be five more stretches in the next three months that are important, quote-unquote. This is probably one of their most important stretches of the season so far based on the way
0: they have pulled themselves up from that that tough place in the standings and got back in the the race here. Yeah, and I think you brought up trade deadline. I think that's part of the calculus here about why it is so important is because the Cubs are still teetering on the edge of what they can do, of what Jed Hoyer, Carter Hawkins in the front office can do at the deadline. If you ask right now, and Tom Rickett said so in in London, you know we already heard that like there'll be buyers at the deadline. There's still time. There's still a whole month of July for sure, and part of the month of June here to, to change that one way or the other. And like we saw in 2021, that the calculus did change, and it right. would, it went differently, and it was right around this time, and it included a stretch in Milwaukee in there too. I'm not anticipating these Cubs are gonna go on a 10 or 11 game losing streak. I'm not saying that. I don't think that's going to happen. They are playing really good baseball and stuff right now too, even with the one loss to the Phillies here. I I think that this 13 game stretch though can define and solidify the Cubs stands as buyers, as likely buyers at the deadline, or at least as a team that will stay pat and maybe add some ancillary pieces like a reliever here, a left-handed bat off the bench, something like that, even if it's not a bigger addition at right. DH first base, something like that. Um, but th- if they go 10-3, and 3, which they're already 0-1 to start, but if they went 10-3, and 3, maybe that would solidify for sure and, and be this telegraph to Jed's front office like, hey, add to this team. This is something special that we have an opportunity in a wide open NL Central. So I think that's – that's a huge factor that's kind of hanging over the stretch going into the All-Star break. I think, too, the fact that, Andy, when you asked David Ross the question, what stood out to me is right before the London series, the Cubs were playing the Pirates, and he was asked multiple times throughout that series, like, how important is it to beat the Pirates, their team in first place at the time when they were at Wrigley? how important is it to win these divisional games? And he's like, every game is as important as the other. And then, and I'm not calling Ross out at all. And right. this is what a manager is supposed to do. He, he has the right message. Then you ask how important it, this stretch is, and he's like, really important. So like, these are more important than other yeah. games. And you know that because Ross is saying so, and he right. told the team so, you know, as well before Tuesday's game. Like Cody Bellinger was saying that he got, Ross got the group together, and this is an important stretch for a lot of different reasons. And they know that, hey, like, they can weather the storm. They can deal with the travel, which there is some some travel. It's not just yeah. making excuses. There's definitely some travel issues, some, some you know, fatigued eyes and brains and bodies and stuff coming from London, and then to go through this 13 games. So it's not make-or-break time for the Cubs, but if it goes strong one way or the other, more than like a 7-6 and six type of of 13-game uh, stretch, I think it could turn into a make-or-break section.
1: Yeah, and, and that's what's so crucial to me and why I I like I have a hard time seeing in 21 we go you go back to it and and Jed Hoyers alluded to it that like that that losing streak that 11 game losing streak was kind of where everything shifted and if you go back to it Jed Hoyers openly said that they were beginning to scout for starting pitching right because they were going to be buyers before that 11 game losing streak they were going to be buyers they're going to be looking for starting pitching and What kind of happened in that eleven game losing streak? The starting pitching wasn't as strong as it had been early on in the season. The offense wasn't hitting, so everything kind of fell apart. This season, like the the one difference, whereas like the offense has been sometimes hit or miss, the thing that has been consistent throughout is the starting pitching. And and it's cliche. I've said it before. Everyone said it before, right? You're only as good as the next day starting pitching. And right now, the Cubs starting pitching one through four is is really really good. That it gives you the opportunity that. That kind of losing streak or that kind of bad run probably isn't going to happen, which gives you the belief that yeah, they can be buyers. You know, in in about a month's time.
0: Yeah, and speaking of the rotation too, I, I mean, you said four fifths of it is, is strong, and it is, and the weak link so to speak is Jamison Tyone who yeah. was the big addition to this right. rotation over the winter I mean bringing back Drew Smiley was huge obviously nobody knew what to make of Kyle Hendricks during the offseason but Tyone to get you know 1450 million dollars a year for a four-year deal was a big addition you know he had a 3-8 career ERA coming into this season he had pitched well you know in Pittsburgh and in New York the last couple of years he's he was a good arm he was one of the top arms available you know rotation arms available on the market it looked like a guy that the Cubs definitely felt like there was another level but Tyone said himself he told Rick Sutcliffe I remember in spring training for one of our features on TV that like he feels like there's another level and the Cubs can help bring it out of him well he's going to end June here the first half of the season with an ERA approaching seven like it hasn't worked out the way that he would have hoped hasn't worked out the way the Cubs would have hoped so what do they do with this situation if anything I don't know why you what you can do, like,
2: okay, so we have the the four other guys, Stroman Steele, Hendrick Smiley doing well. Um, I think, like, Hayden Wisniewski is someone who's gone through his trials and tribulations this year, like with lefties, for example. I mean, you do have guys in AAA, but, you know, that's still a guy who's in AAA, and you'd be asking someone to come up and debut, and and maybe, maybe then I mean, as a fifth star you're not asking a lot. But this is someone you've invested in a lot of money, and, and you want to see it let him see it through and let him figure it out and, and as he's been saying right like he talked last night about all the work like all the work he's doing they're doing behind the scenes like they're, they're they like it it's just when he's going he's going out there and, and the results aren't there and he talked about it's just another one of those nights where you're you're a few moments away from a good start and a couple of things happen and some of it unlucky like Nick Castellanos had the, the bloop single with the bases loaded but also like you know he gave up a couple home runs and he was getting hit hard the first pitch mm-hmm. of the game was roped into the right field corner by Kyle Schwarber so like he has eight strikeouts that's good you know there's some weak contact that finds holes but then he's also getting hit hard at times so I, I don't think you he's not someone you're gonna move to the bullpen in my opinion I don't I, at least I don't think at this stage in the season I think he's someone that with the track record you just have to let him ride it out and, and trust the work behind the scenes that it's gonna get on track and he had a start recently with Pittsburgh right like quality start yeah there's signs there that there's been outings like it's like with good with the bad like there's a couple that are good and then you see the other ones where it's the struggle so I mean I don't know what they do with him I just don't think they're gonna move on from him starting currently
1: yeah and, and I think that's that's an interesting point that you mentioned about you know he had he's had those moments and I think that's why it's so hard to say like you got to move him to the bullpen. Or you got to do X, Y, or Z because he's looked so solid. Whether it's one inning or one at bat or or three innings, like fractions of a start. I mean, he had
0: eight strikeouts in five right, innings last right. night. Yeah,
1: it's like you still you still have those signs that like okay, you see why they got him. You see what they think about his his next level. The thing that stands out to me is he's been a ground ball pitcher almost all his career, right? Like that's what he was known for. And like when that signing was made you're thinking, all right, Nico Horner, if they add a shortstop because they hadn't signed Dansby Swanson yet, but if you, you add one of those shortstops, Nico Horner, your defense has improved all around with Cody Bellinger. Like that makes sense, right? Like you you have that ground ball pitcher and, and you, you can have something that maximizes that with, with the no shift and everything. He hasn't been as ground ball tendency as he has been in his career and he hasn't been getting lefties out at the same clip that he has been getting lefties out. So like the two of his strengths are, are kind of nullified. So yes, it's great seeing eight strikeouts, but that hasn't, been who he's been per se in his career and I remember last year there was a few outings where Marcus Stroman had like seven eight strikeouts and you're like wow he had a good outing but then you look at he didn't go deep he gave up a lot of runs it's because that's not who Marcus Stroman is right if he's he's not necessarily a strikeout guy he's, he's he'll get the ball on the ground he'll get outs that's kind of what we're seeing with Jameson Taillon right now where it's like you see a couple good innings then you see an inning where he might give up three or four hits with with two strikeouts and then and it's like that's that's just there's not a correlation to what he has been so like tim said you just have to trust that what they're doing behind the scenes what they're doing on in between starts will eventually mean four consecutive good innings five consecutive good innings six consecutive good innings etc cetera, etc cetera, until you, you you get the guy that you signed
0: yeah and you but you guys both brought it up that the issues against lefties hayden wesneski you said tim has the same problem so like you're not necessarily going to replace an, an apples apples type of compare or like you know just replace him in the rotation because the guy has the exact same issue right and I think we would all feel a little bit better at least I I guess speaking for myself I'm going to lean on a guy a veteran with track record like Tyone on correcting issues that had never been issues in his career prior to this point Wesneski I still believe highly and I think the Cubs do as well and I think he's a good young pitcher going to be an important arm for them maybe even later this year but definitely in the future but right now, you know, I don't know. I think he's a reliever. I don't think there's a great option. Ben Brown, you know, has had his ups and downs in the minors, and I, I don't think calling him up, all of a sudden, you're going to put him in the rotation. Caleb Killian has really struggled in his big league uh, few outings. So, yeah, I, you know, Javier sides in the bullpen as well. That hasn't been quite the same guy we saw in the WBC. So there's no, like, real easy answer. I agree. I think they just keep running out with Tyone and, and hope that things turn, and you know, I, Tim, you brought it up too, like he's giving up some hard hits but also some bad luck. So it's like maybe at some point he'll get some good luck and maybe some of the hard hits will be right at guys, whatever it is. Obviously, I don't think Tyone is a 70RA pitcher for the rest of the season, but I didn't think he'd be a 70RA pitcher through June. But, yeah, you know, it's, it's something the Cubs really have to figure out. And If they're going to go on extended stretches, more than like 10 and 2 runs, they need to really get that, that bottom half of their bottom part of the rotation figured out because Strowman Steele, Smiley, Hendricks have combined to make 52 starts for a 278 ERA. The bottom four starting pitchers, so Killian, Assad, Tyone, and Wesneski this year, have made 25 starts, 667 ERA. So that's just obviously not getting it done for the Cubs if they want to continue to go on a run.
1: And just I just pulled it up really quickly. Ground ball percentage this season, 32%. For, for Jamison Tyone last year was at 40%. Uh, 2021 when he was coming back from uh, f- uh, after the pandemic and everything 33.9 but before then it was 48 46 46 53 so like the ground ball has not been as prevalent as it has been in his career and that really kind of is just not who he has been in his career to back to that point
0: yeah so go ahead
2: tim if you want if you want some more stats yeah like, throw it <laughs> at us. uh last year lefties 32 starts ops was 711 against him and they had 11 home runs this year and 13 starts lefties ops is 1081, 81 and they already have 10 home runs. Uh, and I, I think what Tylen talked about last night is, like, I think he was more closer to even splits in past seasons, and, and, you know, you wouldn't get teams necessarily stacking seven lefties against him, but right now that's what they're doing, and they're going to continue doing, as he said, until he figures this out, right? Like, yeah. so uh, I think I should say this, too, because I brought up the bullpen thing. That along those same lines, like, if someone who has that, drastic of splits like I I don't think the bullpen thing is in the conversation I just mentioned it in this conversation if you put a guy like that in the bullpen it kind of it's tough right with usage because then you're asking like for someone who's a long reliever that
0: you're probably looking at just one type of hitter you're facing right it's the right side yeah no definitely and and I mean to ask a guy like Tyone who's never really done that too like there's a lot of potential issues with that Um, but you know like you said too like Tyonne says all the right things and he you know he understands the he's very honest he understands like the the gravity of the situation that teams are going to stack a bunch of lefties against him until he proves that he can punch back and get lefties out and you know he knows that he he's not happy with giving up five runs in five innings like he doesn't consider that acceptable and he doesn't want that to be acceptable moving forward so um you know definitely something that like I anticipate we'll turn around, but, um, you know, at this point, halfway through the season, the Cubs can't necessarily count on that, but they certainly are working to try to get back to that point. Um, on the other end, on a kind of positive note here, imagine giving up on Nick Magical at this <laughs> point. I know that's something you guys joke about it and, and uh, kind of joke around with each other. But So he got called back up in June, 14 games that he's – again, this is before Wednesday, but 14 games that he's been up in June. hitting 317. That 429 on base that he has is seventh best in the National League. He's he's been an, he's been on base every one of the 14 games that he has played, and that's what the Cubs and Ross kind of uh, I guess put the pressure on him, so to speak, to do is go back down to the minor leagues, figure out how to get on base without just hitting, without singling, whatever it is, and he's done that and he's delivered. And now with the Jared Young move, it looks like and Masurboni down. Wisdom still in the IL. It looks like Nick Madrigal is the Cubs' third baseman, at least for the short term, but like an everyday third baseman guy.
1: Yeah, and that's what I was heavily going to lean on is when he got sent down, part of the thing that David Ross said when he was optioned was they want to get him every day at bats. They want him to be playing every day because – the role he was in where he was playing maybe once a week, twice a week, et cetera, et cetera. It just wasn't working. And what did he do go, when he went down there? He was hitting, I think he was hitting like above 400 at one point in A Iowa. Like he was yeah. just doing really, really oh, well. He was hitting like
0: 470, yeah, 480 right, right, at one right, point. Right, yeah.
1: right, right, so he was really, really successful and you saw what he could do with every day at bats. He comes up, he's, to your point, 317, like, really, really good, uh, really, really good hitter. And now he has that track record where he knows, like, hey, he's going to be in there every day, righty, lefty, tough matchup, good matchup, whatever, he's going to be in there because he is their third baseman right now. He Like, barring an in injury, barring something crazy, like, he is the third baseman every single day. He doesn't have to worry about, oh, like, he might not play for the next three days because they've got two, three straight tough righties coming up. Like, he's going to be in the lineup every day. And, and the nine hole where he's been – that really turns over the lineup. Like, it's a really, really good nine bat, ninth batter where or if he can get on base, if he can deliver, then that turns it over to Nico Horner, that turns it over, over to Ian Hapsay, Suzuki, et cetera, et cetera. It kind of kickstarts the offense from the from the bottom of the lineup.
2: Yeah, I mean, look, like, we know he's not going to hit 15 home runs in a season. That's yeah. not his profile. <laughs> um, and if you're going to be at a position where that power slug is a profile that most teams have, like, you got to hit... And he's hitting, and that's that's all you can ask for. And uh, what what he does best, he's doing right now since he came back up. And defensively, man, like that, I, I'm just gonna I'm just gonna keep hitting this you know point. Like before the season, when everyone talked about you're moving a second baseman to third, like how does it work? Like he's got three outs above average at third yeah. base this year. Like yeah. he has clearly answered that question. Uh, I think well, like the arm strength has been. I'm not saying I I I, I don't think I ever saw Nick magical. Make throws from third base when he was a Cub because he was never doing it over there. So clearly, when the first chance he gets over there, it's like, oh yeah, like of course he's a baseball player. He's a good arm. Yeah, he's got the arm. He's he's fielding. Um, and I think like what we're saying, like yes, that's going to be the guy that's going to be there more often than not. I I do wonder with Patrick Wisdom on the injured list. You know, I'm not saying he's going to come in and all of a sudden Nick Madrigal is going to revert to uh, more part-time role I guess coming off the bench but like I wonder what the Patrick Wisdom return does for the equation not just a
0: third but first DH the whole outfield and the whole roster yeah no I I was going to bring that up too actually because I agree Wisdom was taking ground balls Tuesday before the game and uh he could be back soon you know we don't have an exact update on when he's coming back from the you know a little bit of a wrist injury that he's been dealing with he was really slumping before for an extended period of time multiple weeks before he went in the IL but we know how Wisdom can carry an offense when yeah. he's going right. And just in general, like he's played, he's looked really good defensively over there. He has a cannon of an arm, speaking of arms, you know, power, like him and Madrigal, you can definitely mix and match over there just in terms of different profiles. As you kind of mentioned, Andy, like there's a tough righty, maybe Madrigal matches up a bit better than Wisdom. They both can match up against lefties. So I can see that definitely being a fit um, as well. But Jared Young, you know, the Cubs called him up and he played. Uh, handful of games at third base in the minors this year. He played at over 40 games at third base last year in A, So he can do it as well. I think he might be maybe the backup third baseman at this point, or maybe morell too. It's, that's also another possibility is, as the Cubs try to find ways to get morell's bat in the lineup on a regular basis. Maybe they do end up giving him a little bit more run at third base. I know he's been taking grounders and been working over there as well. Uh, so that, that could kind of all factor into the mix, but it goes back to the, before the season started I mean we've talked about this a bunch on this podcast and elsewhere that third base was a question mark for this team it still is but the way Madrigal is playing and this little runway that he has here I think he can turn a question mark into like a oh okay you have Madrigal as a strong side of a platoon or something else strong side of a yeah. timeshare at third base with his defense with his contact with his ability to get on base and I think that's an important development for the Cubs especially in that nine spot too like you said Andy
1: yeah and it's it just, a lot, it just gives you so much flexibility when you have him hitting, right? Like it, it's a different profile bat. And to your point, if Wisdom comes back, comes back healthy and he's doing what he does offensively, where he's hitting home runs, like the ability to, to have Nick Madrigal where he's in a groove now, and you can have him either as a bench bat or as a platoon option, it, it, it just makes you offensively more flexible right like there's there's been plenty of times this season where it's like well like the the offense is kind of thin just because they're, they're in a slump and the, the matchup isn't right like just having that option and David Ross and Jed Hoyer have mentioned it like you want to you're you're never just going to use 26 guys you're never just going to use 13 14 hitters like you're going to use more than that and so you have to have Madrigal having success and, and when he has success it's a it's pretty good bat to have in the lineup
0: yeah for sure um, and really, speaking of success, uh, the Cubs bullpen is a big reason, I think, behind this solid stretch that we've talked about. They, in June especially, have started writing the ship. And I think one guy that's particularly uh, stepped up here is Julian Merriweather, right? a guy who, after, and we've talked a about, bit about it on this pod too, but he gave up five runs in the first game in his first outing as a Cub. And since then, you know, he's really taken off. He has like a 1.8 ERA since then, or maybe even... Actually, I think it's a sub-1 ERA, uh, yeah. whatever it is, regardless, sorry. He's He's been on fire, and since May 1st, he ranks 8th in all of baseball among relievers with at least 15 appearances. He has an 083 ERA over the last two months. He's permitted runs in just three of his last 28 outings, and he has the 6th longest active uh, scoreless streak right now. So, Andy, I mean, just how important has Julian Merriweather's development been for this bullpen? And the Cubs' success overall.
1: Yeah, so I, I do want to start off by saying you were the first one on the matter, whether hype you. train. That's like why you I teed were, you up on this. Yeah, is, yeah, you were, I can't, I
0: can't when beat that, my own chest on this. Yes. Yeah, when
1: that acquisition was made in the offseason, you were like, I think this guy could be the breakout arm for... Thank you, Andy. And that was not looking We're going to cut right. that as a promo clip. That, Thank there you. we go, there yes. we go. Yeah, yeah. But, but, you know, he's lived up to it now as of late. And and I think about the kind of... the, the some of the low points with the bullpen, right? Especially when, when things weren't going right. When... Just like it's like who could who could David Ross turn to in the bullpen? And now you look at the bullpen and and, and Julian Merriweather is the, the the number one guy that David Ross turns to uh right off the right, right off of a bad situation, right? In the sixth inning, if he needs someone, he'll get Julian Merriweather warming up. If it's the eighth inning, he'll get Julian Merriweather, Merriweather warming up. Like that's his that's a really trusted arm. And then you now you've got Michael Fulmer who's been going on a nice little run. You've got Mark Leiter Jr. who's been really good all all year and can get righties and lefties out. And then you have Adbert Alzolai kind of emerging as the closer. Like we talk about the last three years, where they had the three-headed monster. Like every almost every single year, and for a long portions of this year, you were like, "What's what's their three-headed monster?" You might have a four-headed monster, and it, it's kind of spearheaded by by Julian Merriweather.
0: Yeah, definitely. I mean, I think uh, uh, it's. Funny, but like you're right, like at the beginning of the season, I think a lot of people wouldn't have been like, oh, the three headed monster is clearly Julian Merriweather, Mark Leiter Jr., and Edward Alzali. Like, yeah. there's a level of confidence maybe among fans or among media members. In some of those guys, and we saw lighter success last year, we know what Adbert has done, and Merriweather has had success in the past. But, yeah, to be those three guys when Fulmer and Boxberger were, like, bigger additions, Brandon Hughes was around, and we know Hughes has lost for the season now, like you probably would have thought that those latter three guys would have been the three-headed monster. But, yeah, Merriweather's stepping up, and why are we talking about Julian Merriweather? Well, because I actually had a chance to sit down with him before Wednesday's game at Wrigley Field. So we're going to take a quick commercial break, and then let's chat with Julian.
1: We know you love Chicago. You devour the pizza, admire Chicago's skyline, and cheer on Chicago's sports teams, especially the Cubs. If you wanted to live in a more boring place, you'd live in St. Louis. Why not bank with Chicago's bank too? Upgrade your wallet with an exclusive Wintrust Cubs debit card, which you can get when you open a Wintrust Cubs checking account. Show your Cubs pride and open an account at Wintrust.com slash Cubs. Member FDIC, equal housing lender.
0: All right, we now welcome Julian Merriweather, Cubs reliever onto the Cubs Weekly Podcast. Julian, first up, you guys just got back from London. Can you take us through how that trip was for you and what was your favorite part of it?
3: Yeah, awesome trip, Uh, super historic city. That was probably the coolest part, just like being able to walk around and see all the monuments and historic uh, trademarks they have there. And it's pretty cool to knock a few of those off the, the list, say I've seen them. What was your favorite part? Was it pitching in a game or was it seeing something, you know, outside of a game? Uh, yeah, pitching in the game was definitely a cool experience to look back on and say, hey, I pitched in London. Um, but then, just like I said, just being in awe of all the, the stuff we got to see is pretty cool too, so it's, they're pretty tied, I'd say. Was that the biggest crowd you think you've ever pitched in before? It was like almost 56,000 fans, I think. Yeah, I mean – Just looking at the stadium when it was empty and seeing how deep the bleachers go and and how many people they were going to pack in there and uh, knowing it was going to be a packed crowd. It was a pretty cool experience. And to get out there and and kind of for a second take in the crowd and realize how much noise they're making, and it was was a pretty cool atmosphere. So did it feel like there
0: was a little bit more noise than normal or a little bit more fans in the stands than a normal 42,000 at Wrigley
3: kind of thing? I would say there's definitely a good buzz going kind of the whole game. People were excited to to see some baseball for sure. Uh, It's not something they get to see every day. So um, I I think it was a cool experience for them, obviously, for us as well. For you personally, you've obviously been on a a really strong run here and uh,
0: what do you kind of attribute um, the turnaround? I know I remember talking to you in spring training and you said health was a big key for you this year and you've been able to maintain health and also find a lot of success the last few months here.
3: Yeah, I'd I'd say it's been staying with the same plan. Um, This spring I was feeling pretty good health-wise and the results were uh, going kind of my way and start of the season, had a few bumps in the road, but uh, like I said, was still feeling Healthy and was able to work through things that maybe I hadn't worked through in the past when, when I was dealing with injuries. So, kind of dealing with the ups and downs of the season is part of it, and just kind of sticking to the routines and the the day to day has been helping me kind of stay in that process. And
0: two, I mean, you know, you're finding yourself in a lot more like leverage situations as well. What has that been like? You know, I know you've pitched like in those situations in Toronto before in the past in your career, but pitching in those earning David Ross's trust, like, how has that been for you as this season has progressed?
3: That's been fun. I mean, for couple reasons. It's great to be in a in a tight game because the energy's a lot higher and during that time of the game and also it just means that we're in a lot of close games and the team's playing well so um, it's felt like a good stretch for us coming down here and Uh, Rolling to the all-star break, so we're hoping to finish strong and yeah It's just been a a good energy I feel like and really just even beyond you the the bullpen
0: in general you guys have seemed to found something over the last few weeks here You know Adbert closing and you know yourself Michael Fulmer, mark Leiter jr You guys have really kind of honed in and I think as as we record this on Wednesday before the game You guys have the best era since June 7th What do you think has been working with you guys together like as a whole unit?
3: I think it's the whole thing. Like we're, we're a complete unit. I think every guy offers like a different thing. Um, the four guys you mentioned are all very different. We have other guys as well, like that can offer some long ending relief as well, and offer different looks, left, uh, lefties, righties. So uh, I think as a group, as a bullpen, we're all very different, and that kind of helps us all play off each other. I think. And this being your first year here in Chicago, what has been your overall
0: impression just of Cubs fans, of pitching at Wrigley in you know, all your home games? Just in general, what have you thought of
3: Chicago and fans? It's just an awesome sports town. I mean, it's it's not like anything I've experienced like playing for a home team and, and seeing just the everyday buzz on a Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday that you might not see in, in other stadiums. It's just a... The fan base is so dedicated, and, and they're they're so uh, behind you, you know, every, every day of the week, and that's that's a huge thing I, I've noticed. How does it match up to your impressions of what you thought the fan base would be versus coming here and, and living in it every single day? Uh, it's probably bl- blown away my expectations because I wasn't sure really what to expect. Um, it's just been a a lot, lot of support from from all angles when we're winning, when we're losing, and that's just been like the best part, I think. All right, Julian, thanks so much for stopping by. We really appreciate your time. Of course, thank you.
0: So as we were discussing, I mean, the bullpen is a huge reason behind the Cubs' success lately. Since June 9th, they're, they're lost in San Francisco. They actually lead baseball in bullpen ERA with a 2.19 one 9 ERA. Uh, again, this is going into Wednesday night's game against the Phillies, but Merriweather's been a huge part of that. But Tim, you know, another guy, Michael Fulmer, has been a big reason. Andy mentioned him as well, but Fulmer was the guy that was the Cubs' closer to start. But now he's kind of emerging as this, like, bridge guy to Leiter and Alzalei, along with Merriweather, as, like, again, this four-headed, three-headed monster that we're talking about in the bullpen. Yeah, I mean, like, the four, he he was, I think, the guy going in that you're like, that's the guy you
2: can count on most. And we, we know their early struggles. I mean, May 27th, I'll take that date. That was against the Reds. They, they lose think they, the bullpen. Gave up a couple runs that game, including him. He gave up two, but... Since then, he's made 13 appearances. He's got a .66 ERA. Like, I think we talk about at different stages now, like guys have kind of ascended into into bullpen roles, and he's someone I think that maybe some fans were just, you know, writing him off early on, and I think since then, quietly or not, however you think, like he's really emerged again as someone like to – we talked, I think, in this podcast before about a ninth-inning guy and maybe not having that, you can't work backwards. Well, they started to figure that out, and they're – continually with all these different guys stepping up, you're working further backwards now. You have different options. You have the Alzelie, the Lighter, Merriweather, and now a Fulmer bridge. Like If you can get four guys like that all contributing at once, I mean, that just lengthens your whole bullpen. And the rotation's been so good that sometimes you get six, seven innings anyway, and maybe you only use two relievers. But uh, I think Fulmer's reemergence is something that
0: really deserves a lot of credit and what it's done for the bullpen as we talk about those numbers the last three four weeks. Yeah, and it's huge, too, I think, just given that we mentioned Hughes before. He's not coming back this season. Cody Hoyer, we've talked about a lot. You know, he had Tommy John missed all of last year. Now he had, what was a fractured elbow, right? I can't remember, but broken army, you know, fractured elbow. Like, now he's done for the rest of the year, which is a horrible story for both of those guys, but the Cubs don't have those internal guys, two guys that you right. thought you'd be counting on at some point around this time this year. So, yeah, definitely to see Merriweather, Fulmer step up is a you know, big development for this team. But from us here, for for Tim and Andy, you know, I'm Tony. I'm going to sign off. That's going to be the end of the Cubs Weekly Podcast. As always, we are presented by Wintrust. Don't forget to download and subscribe wherever you get your podcast. Check us out in video form on the Marquis Sports Network app and YouTube. Thanks, as always, for tuning in and listening.